going through our series in Colossians, and we've reached uh, chapter 3, which can be found on page 1184 of the Church Bibles, I believe. Does anyone want to be my Bible monitor today? Don't all rush at once. Graham McCall, good man. Graham is going to bring around a Bible. If you need a Bible, uh, stick up your hand, and Graham will bring it around. And if you don't have one at home, uh, then this can be our gift to you. We would uh, love you to have uh, God's Word as a free gift to you. So if you want to take that home, uh, read it, study it, colour it in, write notes in it, uh, we would love that. If you're just going to sell on eBay, don't do that. Um, But if you're going to actually use it and treasure it, then we would love you to have it. So um, going through uh, the book of Colossians and going through Paul's letters, there's a number of hallmarks to his writing style uh, which can be evident. He's often uh, fiercely loyal to the true gospel of Christ and a real defender of that. Often he'll talk about um, being talking about the true gospel and making sure that we stick to the true gospel and not add anything in. He's not afraid of difficult conversations. If he sees something wrong, he'll call it out. He's also writes in love as a father figure. Often he encourages unity. He encourages uh, people uh, to be united together in the church. And also he can often be a master of painting a picture of how the church, how the church should live. For example, the body of Christ, he often talks about a family, he often talks about home, and particularly in these verses I'm going to highlight, uh, verses 12 through to 14, he talks about almost uh, God being a tailor, about wearing these new clothes in Christ, and how Uh, we should live. So I'm just going to read Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Amen. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a suit? Uh, I imagine if you're a guy or a dress. I imagine if you're a woman, don't want to judge. Um, But an outfit that has been made specifically for you. Has anyone ever had something that's been tailor-made for them? 
Yes, a few people. Yes, I have had that one moment when I was 18, as my 18th birthday present, I was uh, made a kilt. Well, I was bought a kilt, but because uh, I was a bit fussy about what exact tartan or what exact thing I wanted on my kilt, I had to get it made especially um, by a lady uh, in Aberdeen. And um, so I was involved in choosing all the colours and choosing all the patterns, the design, the tartan. And um, so I did that. And then I had to go round uh, to where I was being measured. And I, basically, she had to measure um, all the measurements that you could possibly think of. So there was the chest, there was the waist, there was the inside leg, there was all those things that I needed to get measured so that when I put on this kilt on my 18th birthday party, it would fit perfectly. And I remember getting married last year that I had to have those same uh, measurements, those same um, kind of things, because effectively my 18-year-old stomach was not the same as my 27-year-old stomach. So I had to get it resized. I had to get it changed. It wasn't quite the same. I was going blue every time I wore it. So we needed, I thought, for my wedding day, I'll get it changed. I'll get it so actually I can feel comfortable and not be like, yes, like going, going blue at the, at the face of just not being able to cope. I always remember that feeling of trying on that new kilt on my 18th birthday or trying on that new, that kind of resized kilt and remembering that it was a completely new clothing. And also with that, there was a bit of a new identity within that. When I was 18, I was uh, becoming a man. I was going from that being in school to going out in the big bad world. I was growing up. There was also a sense of national identity. I'm a proud Scotsman and I was wearing my proud Scottish dress. And then when I was um, getting ready to be coming married, I was going from being just a man on my own to being a husband, starting a new family, starting a new life, starting a new journey. And Paul here is painting this picture in these verses 12 through to 14 of a new life in Christ a new identity for these young Christians in the Colossian church. And that means putting on a new set of clothes. And Paul is saying here that we need to clothe ourselves in these internal uh, clothing, not external, but what is in our heart? What do we need to wear in our hearts every day, day by day, to be Christians? And Paul is painting the picture here as Jesus, as this master tailor, um, working on this perfect suit, this perfect dress, for each of us that we are to wear. Verse 12 begins, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And Paul shows here three things about what is our identity in Christ and then three things of what are the clothing, what are the the kind of elements that we we should be wearing in our daily walk as Christians. And uh, their identity is this. This is what Paul says their identity is. This is what Paul says our identity should be. That we are chosen. That we are holy. And that we are dearly loved. Firstly, chosen. Jesus has selected us. He's plucked us from obscurity and sin and shame. He's taken us from where we were and he's put us uh, with him in his family, in his kingdom. And he's seen us as his chosen person, his chosen individual. We didn't choose Christ. He chose us. We, he saw us. He knew us before we even knew him, before we even could recognize him. 
God was saying, I see you, I know you, you are mine. The psalmist says in Psalm 139 that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before we were even here, God knew us, he chose us, and he loved us. And he still loves us. So we're chosen. That's part of our identity. We're chosen. We're also holy. Jesus the tailor has been working on this suit, this dress for us. But he's also made sure that it's been washed clean. That there's no uh, creases or blemishes, no stains within it. But it's a new set of clothing for us. A new uh, clothing that we can wear. Our identity is holy because Jesus has made us holy. He's made the church in Colossae holy. He's put his love into us. And he's cancelled our debts. He's given us uh, free life again. So we're chosen, we're holy. We have that free gift of grace. We're also dearly loved. Jesus has been working uh, overtime, 100%, working on this suit, working tirelessly over these clothes that he's put Onto us and given us this new identity that we share in Christ. They fit perfectly. They accentuate the bits that we'd love to accentuate. They hide the bits that we'd want to hide. They cover up the right places. They have the Creator written all over them. And we are His masterpiece. In Ephesians, Paul talks about us being God's masterpiece, that He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. When we accept Christ into our lives, we find out that we have been chosen by him first and foremost. That we are made holy and we are dearly loved. And we are told to get rid of the old clothes that we maybe lived in before. Those ones that are a bit smelly, a bit raggedy, that have seen better days. And to put on these new clothes. So I'm just going to go through three new clothes that we can wear, but all the way through that, just think about that as our identity, that we are chosen, that we are holy, that we are dearly loved. And I know for some of us, we might not always feel that, but I want to encourage you today that that is how God sees you. That's how Jesus sees you. He sees you as chosen, holy, and dearly loved. So these three examples of new clothes that Christians should wear. Number one is that we will wear compassion. Verse 12 says, clothe yourself with compassion. And he then says about other attributes such as kindness, gentleness, but they're all linked in with compassion because Christ has showed compassion and mercy to us. And when I think of compassion, I like to think of compassion being those trusty hiking boots that you often wear. They're like steel-toed cap. Uh, they've got a good wear in them. They're not just um, new, so you've got the blisters, but they're comfy. They're ready for the long trek. They're ready for the hard work. They're ready to love our neighbor, to love one another. And Jackie Pullinger, um, who is an incredible lady who worked in Hong Kong in the walled city, um, she talks about this. She says, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. And the trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. We need to have soft hearts. We need to have that compassion for our fellow man, our fellow woman. And we need to have that hard feet to be able to journey with people, to be able to walk through things that people are going in on their lives. 
We need to have those trusty hiking boots of compassion on so that when we go into our community, into our neighborhood, we are ready for the journey ahead. We're not just going to dip our toe in the water and then get out, but we're going to be there for the long haul. Wearing compassion means that we serve our community. We search out the needs. We ask people on the ground, where are the needs? And we get stuck in. And We show God's love for people by being the hands and feet of Jesus in desperate situations. As has already been mentioned, uh, like Ben is just starting, Jill and I, we also did DNA as a gap year at City Church. And um, through that time, I just got so many words that I was just a, a, a giant in God's kingdom. And I was just a massive man of God. So that, that kind of jibe that Ben sent me there, I can take back. I am, I'm big in Jesus' eyes, so I'm okay. I'm all right about that. I might need prayer there, but it's okay. And um, as Ben said, as part of this gap year, um, we would often be involved in all different types of ministries. And one in particular uh, would be uh, lifestyle on a Monday night. Now, for those of you who don't know, lifestyle is a, a Monday night service now. Um, so it's an actual church service. But at the time, it was just where people gathered together. Uh, some people who had significant life issues, such as addictions, such as homelessness, such as mental health issues, they were all able to come to gather together. We'd have a meal together, we'd open God's word, and then we'd have a time of discussion and prayer. Uh, it wasn't a place people could have their own opinion they could have uh, they could talk what they felt about the topics that were on offer um, but it was just a really incredible place to come along to and it still is but at the time we probably had about 30 people coming each week now they get about 50 or 60 on a Monday night but at the time it was about 30 people each week and before DNA I uh, came from quite a privileged background uh, a middle class background I went to that rough school in town called RGC Robert Gordon's College uh, really rough uh, not. Uh, and I tried to be nice to people. I tried to do my bit to society. I tried to do good to others. But ultimately, I was only mixing with my peers. I was only mixing with people that I was like, they're a bit like me. I'm a bit like them. I'm going to get on to them. I might be nice to them, but I'm not going to expect much back. I'm, I'm going to maybe expect that you, if I do you a good deed, you're going to do me a good deed. I was ignorant. And I was blind to the people uh, that were really struggling in life. I tried to be nice, but in the end, I was just looking up here when maybe I needed to look lower. And every Monday night was a challenge because I was challenged by people. I was having a meal with these people and they were sharing their stories about their life, about how they were on the margins, about how they would struggle to get a meal. They didn't know where they were going to sleep the next night. And I was just getting to know them and God was breaking my heart for these people. He was melting away the... Um, preconceptions I had, the ignorance I had, the kind of pedestal that I was on, he was melting that away and making me see these people and having his heart, his heart for these men and women. And he was placing that in me. He was showing me that these people are just like me. They were completely like me, that I was sitting opposite to a guy who was really struggling with homelessness and he was just like me. It was only by the grace of God that I had started on a different path to him. Jesus was bringing me down from this pedestal and bringing me level with everyone else, with all humanity. And he was bringing us all to the level of the foot of the cross of where she would start. And before that, um, I was looking down on these people. But then after that, after this time of weekly serving on a Monday night, of getting to know 
these people. It changed my lifestyle. I was um, just engaging with people who were in these situations. My heart was looking out for who was on the margins, who was the person that needed to be brought in. Changed my career. I um, wasn't sure what I was going to do after this gap year. And then through that time, through working in that situation, I realized that I needed to work um, in the kind of homeless system to help people. So for three, four years, I worked as a homeless worker for various different charities. And I changed simply just my attitude to others. I was a lot more forgiving. I was a lot more understanding. And compassion is us seeing God's heart for people. It's seeing how God sees these people through through his lens and just seeing that they're just human beings. They're just like us and they just need to be loved. And showing them love and mercy to them. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. We need to have that compassion as God has showed compassion for each of us. And for some of us, we know that calling on our life that God has put, that we need to help those who need to be helped. We need to help those in need. And we have, we're trying to build in, in this uh, site, in this church, across our churches, a social transformation team that will help those on the margins in this area, in Stonehaven, across uh, this part of Aberdeenshire. And if you um, feel that you want to get involved or you want to be a part of that, then we would love to hear from you. And maybe God is just saying something to you now about speaking about that, that maybe that's something that you need to be involved in. But for others, maybe we just need a fresh touch of compassion. We just need a fresh touch um, for um, showing God showing his heart for other people. Of God showing us who we might think are scary, who we might think we're never going to be able to reach. And he's showing us that we, they are children of God, just like him. And we can start by showing love and kindness to our neighbours, to our world, to those around us. With just little kind of acts of kindness. And often in church circles, we talk about random acts of kindness, how they're amazing. We should do random acts of kindness. But actually, I don't agree with why we should do random acts of kindness. I think it should seem they're random. But actually, let's be deliberate with our acts of kindness. Let's think, who can I bless today? Who can I show God's love today? I don't want to just do it randomly. I want to think about it and think, that person's really in need. I want to show them love. I want to be deliberate in doing that. Who can I bless? Who can I show God's love? So as Christians, we need to wear compassion. Secondly, we need to wear forgiveness. The world is full of broken, hurting people. And it can be so easy to hold a grudge and to um, not forgive people. And I was reading in the news this week uh, about the mighty Baltic nation of Estonia. Now, for those of you who don't know, Estonia has started to import rubbish from neighboring countries uh, to keep one of its power plants running. I don't joke about this. Last year, Estonia brought in a staggering 56,000 tons of rubbish from countries that were not using it, particularly Finland. Don't know why, but it's just interesting that Estonia was taking in all this rubbish from Finland particularly. It wasn't producing enough rubbish on its own to fuel this power plant um, to keep the boilers heated around the clock, so it needed to bring in uh, rubbish from other uh, countries. And uh, Katharine Carr of the Estonian Environment Agency said that although they were doing this, it wasn't a carte blanche for importing foreign rubbish 
rubbish. In a a press statement, she says, local refuse must be dealt with first before import licenses will be granted. You might be wondering why I'm saying this. Well, the point is that we so often take other people's rubbish upon ourselves to keep our own fires burning, don't we? We can make grudges. We can just have something to talk about. We can things that we could easily just nip in the bud if we forgive. We could keep them going on and on. And we don't forgive because there's some fire. There's some excitement still there. And if compassion is the trusty hiking boots that we wear, then forgiveness is like what you'd wear as an inflatable sumo suit at a party, I like to think anyway. It's like uh, you don't look particularly on fleek with it, uh, but it's got an outer shell uh, that you can kind of uh, bounce off people that protects us uh, from the real heart. And similarly, when they hit us with a sumo suit, we can uh, absorb their hurt and absorb their pain towards others as well. We have that hardened uh, shell around us that we don't get affected, but also that we are... When we say things, they aren't as uh, cutting, they aren't as piercing at all because we forgive. We give others the opportunity to forgive us. And we can be hurt intentionally, we can be hurt unintentionally. I know that. By being overlooked, by being neglected, by being asked to do something, maybe by not being asked to do something, we can feel hurt for so many reasons. But the truth is that forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian message. and It's at the heart of the gospel. Verse 13 says, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's a uniquely Christian virtue that we are able to forgive. The world says you can't forgive. As Christians, as God, what he says is that we must forgive. It's part of our DNA. And it's mentioned 143 times in the Bible. That's what we should do. And it's at the heart of the teachings of Jesus. And often um, we say that actually I can't forgive. Well, that person's done. I can't forgive that thing. Or we take the tact that the great philosopher of our time, Taylor Swift, or as some would call her Tay in Bad Blood, she says, band aids don't fix bullet holes. It's like what you're asking me to do is a massive thing, and I can't just say sorry. That just feels like it's nothing. And we can think that saying sorry or saying I forgive you isn't going to do anything lasting. But what you need to know is that forgiveness doesn't mean that we go back to the way things were. It doesn't mean that you've hurt me, I say sorry, and then you're going to hurt me again. It doesn't mean uh, that there are no consequences. It doesn't mean that it's a denial of what has happened. It's not a bargaining chip that should be used at the negotiation table in the sense of that, okay, if I forgive you, then you're going to do this for me. No, no, no. It's an unconditional offer. It's unconditional. And we see that in the Bible. We see that as an example in the Old Testament where um, Jacob and Esau were two brothers in the story in Genesis. And uh, Jacob was uh, deceptive of Esau and he stole his birthright. He stole his inheritance of Esau. And the brothers, they had bad blood. They were um, annoyed at each other. And Esau was incredibly annoyed at, at Jacob, so much so that Jacob had to flee the country. He knew that I need to get out of here or else uh, I'm going to meet my end. I'm, it's not going to end well for me. And years later, after this situation, Jacob decides to come back to his homeland. And he hears that Esau, his brother, is waiting for him. And Jacob thinks in this moment, okay, 
right? This can't be good. Esau is waiting for me. I need to do something about this. So he makes up a plan. He makes up this really elaborate plan so that Esau couldn't destroy all his wealth in one go. But he would put people out at various stages so that when Esau comes to meet them, it would almost be like just softening the blow. Here are the crops. Here are my sons. Here's, here's all these things just to soften the blow. When Jacob finally meets Esau, when he gets back to Esau, it's a completely different reaction. In Genesis 33, it says, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Jacob thought that was unforgivable, but Esau was able to forgive through God. And I know that times in uh, Jill and I's relationship, there's been times where we've uh, maybe not been in the best of places, where we've had to forgive each other, and times I'll admit that I've struggled. I felt, oh, can I forgive? I remember one particular time I was struggling to forgive and I was praying about it to God and I was just thinking, how do I forgive this? And God gave me a picture of him on the cross. He gave me a picture of Jesus on the cross and that he had already taken that pain, that thing that I couldn't forgive. He had taken that upon himself and he had forgiven that. He had forgiven that on the cross and I knew I had to forgive Jill and I did. Because Jesus had forgiven that already and Jesus had forgiven me for what I had already done. And who am I? I thought, who am I to withhold forgiveness if Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, has already forgiven that? And C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And you might be saying, that's easy for you to say, Ali, but you don't know what my situation is. You don't know how hard it is to forgive. And I know that. I know I don't have, for many of you, I don't have any idea what that would be or what situation that would be. And I accept that. But I would just urge you, as your pastor, I would urge you to know that the forgive is an action and forgiveness is a journey. We start by forgiving. But through forgiveness, we work through it. We journey through it. It will take time. But we need to start. We need to be in that place to be ready to say, actually, I do forgive. And that can be revolutionary to people. If, if you're upset with someone who's, who's not a Christian, then for them to be uh, told that they've been forgiven for something they know they've done wrong, that's incredible. You feel like that doesn't happen in the everyday. But as Christians... That is what we need to do. That is a non-negotiable. And I know as well that as my role as Jill and I as sight pastors, there'll be times where we will let you down. There will be times where we maybe hurt you unintentionally. That's obviously not the intention. But I just want to say now, to start that ball rolling of having a culture of forgiveness, that I want to say I'm sorry when I've done wrong. And I want to say that I ask for forgiveness in times. And there'll be times where others... You might have been just hurt by church in generally or hurt by church years in the past. And again, I don't know what that situation is. But again, as a Christian, as a Christian leader here today, I want to say I'm sorry for what's happened. That wasn't Jesus. That was maybe someone speaking out of turn or acting in a way that wasn't Christ-like in that moment. And I just want to say I'm sorry, whatever that was. It will take time. But we need to see what we have been forgiven by God. 
and do likewise. We know that Christ has done so much and forgiven us. We need to be that example and to forgive as well. We need to wear compassion. We need to wear forgiveness. And finally, we need to wear love. In verse 14, Paul says that um, from all other virtues, over all other virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Above all else, we must put on love. We must wear love in our hearts. These virtues are great, but if you don't have love, it doesn't hold everything together. In 1 Peter 4, Peter says that above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love is the mark of a Christian. It's maybe the trusty vest that you wear under everything else, though no one wants to admit to wearing a vest. Or it's the the favorite belt that holds everything together. Or the dressing gown that holds everything in. It unites everything. It holds everything together. It's not an emotion, but it's an action to love. It's an action to love, and it's an active thing as well. We put on love. We put on love. We don't just uh, sit there and say, oh, I might love them. But we go out, we search, we put on love. We're active in that. Um, In June this year, uh, there was an exhibition um, for an artist named, I might get this wrong, uh, named Mr. Zhao uh, from China. And he had created a statue made completely out of Lego. And it cost over the equivalent of £10,000 to make. And uh, Mr. Zhao, along with a couple of his uh, colleagues, had been working on this day and night for three days to get it ready uh, for this exhibition. He'd been working really hard on this exhibit. And the Lego creation was a giant figure of a fox called Nick from the film Zootropolis. Has anyone seen Zootropolis? Great film. So Nick looked like this. There's Nick. Uh, looking a bit sketchy, uh, but he looked like that. And uh, However, Nick met his demise only hours after being opened to the public at the hands of a four-year-old boy and turned out to look like this. Poor Nick. Apparently, a no-touching sign in place of the exhibition seems to have been little help to poor Nick. Uh, so only hours after, and the, the family of the four-year-old boy said, we will pay for it. Uh, but Mr. Zhao said, no, it's okay. I don't think he meant to do that. I don't think the four-year-old boy meant to completely decimate poor Nick. But there you go. But the point is, without love holding everything together, our other acts, our other good deeds and virtues will come to nothing. Love is the glue that unites each of us. It's the love of Christ flowing in me and flowing in you, in us and through us. That's why we come here on a Sunday morning. That's why we do all those things in the community. That's why um, we do small groups. That's why we do all these things. It's because of God's love for each of us. That's why we're united in love as brothers and sisters here. That's why we want to be an example of perfect love to the world because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and for I. I just want to finish by simply saying this. Have you given your life to Christ? You may have sat here since day one. but Has Jesus transformed your life? 
Have you experienced his love? Have you accepted his love? It's maybe your first time here, but have you experienced that love? And if you haven't, that's okay. But I would just love to give an opportunity as we close for you to have the opportunity to experience God's love for the first time. So why don't we stand and I will pray for us.